Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, guys, we have got St. Patrick's Day coming up one week from today. So Aaron Gobra, everybody, which it loosely translate from the old Irish just to mean Ireland forever. Uh, the only time you ever hear that in this country, at least, is on St. Patrick's Day. But I thought we'd chat a little bit about St. Patrick's Day and what the holiday means to Americans and why we love it so much. Uh, number one, there just are a lot of Irish descendants in this country. I, I myself have some Scott-Irish in my family. In fact, a lot of people from my neck of the woods in the Appalachian Mountains have Scott-Irish because the Scott-Irish were, in large numbers, the first people that moved into that part of the world. But I would like to start out by talking about the TV show The Office. Now, I don't know if you have watched that. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's an excellent TV series. But there was one episode that was set on St. Patrick's Day, and during the episode, several of the cast members talked about how big of a deal St. Patrick's Day is in Scranton. Now, I always just assumed, because at the time that I saw this, I was still living in Virginia. I had not moved to the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton area yet, and I just assumed that was something that was necessary for the script to happen. But the office actually did a very good job of taking things from the Scranton area and incorporating them into the show. Cooper's Restaurant that gets mentioned several times is an actual seafood restaurant in Scranton. That's a very good seafood restaurant, by the way. There's a, Actually, I don't think the interiors were the actual Cooper's Restaurant, but there are exterior shots of Cooper's that is the actual building in Scranton. Poor Richard's is a actual small bar in Scranton. I have not been to that yet, but that is on the to-do list before we skip town. Also, a lot of the things around the office, you'll see stickers and flyers for businesses. A lot of those are actual businesses in the Scranton area. There's a sticker on one of the cubicles for Froggy 101. You see that in many, many episodes. That's actually a radio station here in Scranton. And actually, the company that my wife works for, there is an episode where one of the cast members is drinking coffee out of a mug from my wife's company. So they really did a good job of incorporating real-world Scranton culture and ideas and companies into the show. And since I've moved up here, I have learned that actually St. Patrick's Day is a huge deal in Scranton. There are a large number of Irish descendants living in the Scranton area. And St. Patrick's Day in this neck of the woods is every bit as big as the 4th of July is everywhere else in the country. They have a huge parade in Scranton. I have not attended the parade. I've been told by many people that that's something I need to do. Apparently, it is a all-out party, and you'll have people in Scranton at 9 o'clock that morning lining up for the parade that doesn't happen until the afternoon. And it's usually not very good weather in March in Scranton, so these people really want to be there. All the stores have St. Patrick's Day decorations. Uh, the, the Party City will have three aisles dedicated to just St. Patrick's Day stuff. There is a Christmas shop in between Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, and this time of year, probably a third of that store is flags and leprechauns and, and just all kinds of stuff to decorate your house. It We celebrated St. Patrick's Day back home, but it was just a minor holiday. You had a few people that would go out to bars, the restaurants and stuff would have specials, but it was not anything really to get too excited about. Of course, it's not a type of holiday where you get the day off. But up here, it is a huge deal, and people will talk about the St. Patrick's Day Parade for months in advance. 
and all along the East Coast, it seems to be that way. Now, of course, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day all through the country, but the East Coast cities, New York, Boston in particular, Philadelphia, all these cities have big parades. But I've been thinking about why is this holiday so popular? Now, granted, it's more popular here than it was back home, and I'm sure it's that way the further west you go. And there were a lot of immigrants from Ireland, but it's certainly not 50% of the European immigration was Irish. Now, I have some Irish ancestry. Uh, my, one of my great-great-grandfathers came over during the potato famine. But the areas that I'm living in, there were a lot. But I'm sure you go to other places in the country. Like, I don't think Alabama had a large Irish contingent moving, moving there to try to work on somebody's farm. So why do we celebrate St. Patrick's Day the way we do? I mean, this is a very specific holiday for one European country. And we have embraced it as a country the way we have very few other very specific holidays. And I've come up with the answer. Americans love to get drunk. And that is really what most people do on St. Patrick's Day. They'll go out and they'll go to a bar and they'll have a few beers. And a lot of the bars, you know, they'll dye their draft beers green for that night. You know, I think Boston actually dyes the river running past the city green. I don't know if they still do that. There's probably some environmentalists that got their panties in a twist over that. But they used to dye rivers green on St. Patrick's Day. And of course, corned beef and cabbage, that's something nobody ever thinks about eating except for one day of the year. But most people, it's just an excuse to go to the bar and have a couple of beers. And we will embrace any holiday that gives us an excuse to go out and have a few beers. I mean, look at Cinco de Mayo. Now, granted, there are a lot of people that immigrate from Mexico in this country, but again, it's a small portion of the whole. But what do we get to do on Cinco de Mayo? We go to a Mexican restaurant. Mexican food is delicious. And we have beer. That is something that Americans will get behind. I don't care what culture you're coming from. If there is an excuse for us to go drink a couple of beers, we will jump all over it. And if you talk to somebody actually from Mexico, Cinco de Mayo is, it's kind of like Arbor Day is here. You know, people are aware of it, but nobody really celebrates it. It's just kind of a day on the calendar and they go about their business. You bring it over here, you tell us we can have a beer on that day, and we are 100% in. We don't ask any questions past that. Say, fantastic, I'm going to go get some queso dip and some fresh fried nachos, and I'm going to have a bunch of beer, and we're going to have a good time. And if you really think about it, think of the big holidays in this country. Uh, Easter is coming up. Easter is about the only holiday I can think of that we have not attached a bunch of drunken revelry to it. That's still a very religious holiday. You know, people get together with their families and have dinner. I'm sure there are people in this country that just get three sheets to the wind at Easter dinner, but that's not the norm. People don't go to the liquor store in preparation for Easter, but just go through the calendar. Memorial Day, what do we do? You take a day off from work, you drink some beers in the backyard. Fourth of July, you take a day off from work, you drink some beers in the backyard. Labor Day, you take a day off from work, you drink some beers in the backyard. Halloween, now Halloween still kind of, sort of, but this is changing, is for children, but look how many people throw Halloween parties as adults, and that has really, over the last few years, that has become a big deal, and everybody throws a big Halloween party and we all get drunk. Thanksgiving, drink a few beers, watch some football. New Year's Eve, stay up late, get drunk, watch the ball drop. Christmas, you would think, is a religious holiday. Um, number one, very few of our traditions are religious. Most of what we do is secular. 
but Christmas, and, and I talked about this, if you did not listen to this episode, I know it's kind of a strange time to time of the year to be listening to something dealing with Christmas, but back in December, I did an episode that dealt with some of the Christmas traditions and where they came from, and it was mostly just people getting drunk and running around like idiots. This was a pagan holiday to begin with, and when it was just a pagan winter solstice festival, alcohol played a huge role in the Christmas festivities. Of course, it wasn't called Christmas at that time. But as a much younger man, I worked a part-time job at a liquor store for a little while, and I always assumed that New Year's Eve would be their biggest day. And it turns out New Year's Eve is not. Very few people came into the liquor store on New Year's Day. Apparently, most people like to go out on New Year's, which is what you want. A bunch of people that don't normally get drunk trying to drive their car home that one night a year. That's why they call it amateur night. But I also worked Christmas Eve, and you would not believe what a madhouse a liquor store is on Christmas Eve. You don't think of that as a big drinking holiday. Normally on a shift, we would have two cashiers at the liquor store, and then either the owner or the manager would be there as well. On Christmas Eve, all day long, we had about seven people there. Now, there was two people running the cash registers because there was only two registers. But we had two or three people that all they did all day long was restock the shelves. And you had people coming in. The the store had little shopping carts, which I always found kind of strange. How much liquor do you need? But there were people bringing up shopping carts full of liquor. Now, part of it is it's going to be closed for a couple of days, but that's that's no call to buy 14 pounds of liquor. But it was just, you know, people have their family over, they're throwing parties, they were stocking up. And Christmas Eve is a huge drinking holiday, which is true of, like I say, all of the holidays that we really get behind. And that is a big reason why we enjoy St. Patrick's Day so much. Americans will take any excuse to go out and have a few drinks. And we seem oddly enamored with the Irish culture. Uh, Of course, the Notre Dame fighting Irish and, you know, the drunken Irishman, those are for some reason not harmful stereotypes of sort of beloved foibles of the Irish people. I'm really not sure why that gets such a pass from the woke mob. Apparently, the only thing I can think is, you know, the Irish were so hated when they started coming over here. Maybe we're overcompensating. And maybe it's just that there are so many people that have a little bit of Irish ancestors in their family. I'm not sure why these things in any other culture would be viewed as just hate crimes. It's just part of the caricature that we think of when we think of Irishmen. But let's talk about some of the other traditions of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Number one, everybody starts wearing a shamrock. I never really knew where the name shamrock came from. I always just assumed it was a clover, but I thought, well, maybe it's a slightly different plant, and that's just the name of it in Ireland. No, it's actually clover. Uh, Shamrock is sort of a bastardized form of the old Irish word Samir Og, and it just literally translates to young clover. So the shamrock is just a clover leaf. But that became a symbol of St. Patrick's Day because, as the story goes, history says that St. Patrick used the three-leaf clover as a metaphor and a way to explain the Holy Trinity in the Catholic religion. And over the years, that has sort of drifted away from being just a symbol of St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick himself and sort of become a adopted symbol of the entire country of Ireland. But there's one other symbol of St. Patrick's Day that we have come to associate with the Irish, but is actually 100% American-born, and that's corned beef and cabbage. 
Now, a lot of restaurants will serve that. And, you know, if you go to a pub, almost certainly they're going to be serving corned beef and cabbage that night. That is not something that the Irish would have eaten in Ireland. Uh, beef was extremely expensive in Europe. I'm sure corned beef did exist somewhere on the Irish island. For the normal person, that would have been just unthinkably extravagant. Nobody ate corned beef and cabbage any time of the year, much less on St. Patrick's Day. Corned beef and cabbage came about when the Irish arrived in America and they started trying to adapt their traditional cuisines to what was available in America. And in America, beef is just dirt cheap. There's cows everywhere. And suddenly they had access to a lot of cuts that they would have never dreamed of being able to eat back in Ireland. And plus, the traditional things that they would eat probably were not nearly as available in America as, as they were back in Ireland. Uh, but corned beef at the time was very inexpensive. Obviously, it's got a lot of flavor, so they sort of adapted a traditional fried cabbage to incorporate corned beef. Now, like I say, that is 100% American, and you see this with a lot of dishes. Uh, chicken parmesan, that is not an Italian dish. That is an American dish. In Italy, again, meat was very expensive, very rare. People just didn't eat meat every meal. A lot of times, you they would have a meat dish on Friday, and the rest of the week they would have vegetables. So chicken parmesan came about when Italians reached America, and suddenly meat was very plentiful, very cheap. Almost everybody could afford it. And they adapted the eggplant parmesan recipe from Italy to incorporate chicken, which was something that they would not have been able to afford or get their hands on back in the old country. So chicken parmesan is 100% American. Corned beef and cabbage is 100% American. Now, I did say that that was adapted from a traditional dish. Uh, they did eat fried cabbage in Ireland, but they would have used salt pork or fatback or bacon. Now, fried cabbage is something that I grew up eating. I still fix it for dinner for myself and my family. As a matter of fact, I had fried cabbage just a few weeks ago. It was within the last month I've had that for dinner. It's a very good meal. I'm going to walk you through how to make it that way. If you're like me and you don't go out drinking on St. Patrick's Day, I have not done that since before my children were born. But you want to do something to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And believe me, this is a delicious dish. It's very easy to fix. It's a treat. You're going to enjoy it. Trust me. This is what I will be fixing next week. And like I say, it's a traditional dish. This is the way it would have been served in Ireland. So not only are you doing something traditional and authentic, but you're going to have a really good meal, and it's simple to cook. It takes about 30 minutes, maybe not even that long. Very simple dish, and like I say, it is delicious. And the only things you need to make this is one head of cabbage, a pack of bacon, and some onion, and a couple of spices. It doesn't take anything really crazy or off the wall. All right, the first thing you want to do is you want to take seven or eight, depending on how big your uh, head of cabbage is, pieces of bacon, and cut those into little cubes and fry them in a frying pan. Now, you need the biggest frying pan you got because the cabbage is going in there, too, and you need as much space as you can get. But just fry that bacon until it's just about crispy. You don't want to go all the way to it's finished and you would normally take it out and eat it because then once the cabbage cooks, some of that bacon is going to be overcooked and it's not going to taste that great. So fry the bacon until it's just starting to get crispy. It's just getting to where it would be done and ready to eat. And then you will shred up your cabbage. And I, so a lot of people will cut 
into big chunks. I like to shred mine into little strips. But shred up the entire head of cabbage. Slice up about half an onion. Again, I like small strips. Uh, throw the onion in. Give it about a two-minute head start on the cabbage. And then put all the cabbage into the frying pan. Uh, salt and pepper. I like to add a little bit of celery seed as well. Give it a good stir to make sure the salt is well distributed throughout the cabbage and to get the cabbage kind of coated with the bacon grease. Then slap the lid on the pan, let it sit. Uh, you'll need to stir it maybe once every five minutes. But you just let that cook down. And I know shredding up an entire head of cabbage, you might think that's going to be way too much for dinner. Trust me, once it cooks down, it's going to reduce in volume by at least half but you want to cook cabbage until it's nice and soft, starting to get translucent. Like I say, keep stirring, keep that bacon grease well distributed through the cabbage. And that's really all you need. Now, I always do cornbread with mine. That was how my mother always served it. If you don't like cornbread, do something else. But bread is good with it. <clears throat> and I don't make cornbread from scratch. I get the little box of the corn muffin mix at the grocery store. Quick and simple. I like the way it tastes. Uh, but the cornbread goes fantastic with the fried cabbage. And like I say, it's going to seem like you've got a whole lot of cabbage when you first start out. It does cook down. Generally, when I fix this, now my daughter does not eat it. My son will eat it a little bit. But usually when I fix it for dinner, I've got enough for me and my wife to have dinner that evening with just enough left over for us to each have a bowl for lunch the next day. But that's all you've got to do. It's just that simple. And I'm telling you, it is a fantastic meal. It doesn't sound like much. It sounds like kind of a hillbilly dish. And quite honestly, it is. Uh, like I say, that was Scott Irish people moving into the Appalachian Mountains. And they took that recipe with them. So it is a hillbilly dish. It is also delicious. And you will thank me for recommending you cook that for dinner. It is fantastic. One last thing about the cabbage, do not throw the core away. When you shred up the cabbage and you're going to be left with a little chunk of something that's where all the leaves come off, it's got all these little squiggly bits, it kind of looks like a chunk of coral. What you want to do with that core is cut off all the little places where the leaves were budding out. Now, once you get that peeled off, you're going to be left with something that sort of has a little bit of a yellowish tint to the outside. Now, that does have a good taste, and it is edible. That is very fibrous, and it's not pleasant to eat. So you want to take your knife, and you want to peel all that off until you get rid of all the material that's got sort of a yellow tint to it. And you're not going to have much left. What you're going to be left with is probably going to be about the size of your thumb. You don't get much out of it. But that is the best part of the cabbage. Uh, cut that into slices, throw a little salt on it. And you've punched your ticket to cloud nine. That is, if you like cabbage, the taste of that is cabbage times 10. It is unbelievably crunchy. And it's just, like I say, it's the best part of the cabbage. That's my favorite thing about cooking fried cabbage is I get to have a snack of the cabbage core while I'm cooking. And it is delicious. If you're throwing that away, you are denying yourself one of life's simple pleasures. Trust me. Eat the cabbage core. It's fantastic. And like I say, when you have that for dinner, not only will you be having a delicious meal that is easy to prepare, you will be celebrating and honoring the Irish tradition and St. Patrick himself. Which brings me to the end of what I have prepared for you today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, please leave me a like and a comment and consider subscribing. 
If you would like to leave me a comment, you can do so at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com or at the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys. I hope your work weeks went well. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Aaron, go bra one more time, and we will talk again very soon. Thank you very much.